This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks for a free downloadable copy in PDF form of this book. Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators, A Biblical Response to Ronald J. Sider by David Chilton, published by Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas, copyright 1981. I am reading the revised and expanded edition dedicated to P.T. Bauer, Ford by Gary North. Chapter 9. Advertising and the Slave Mentality. If no one paid attention to these lies, they would be harmless, but that is impossible. Ronald Sider, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, page 47. The mature have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Hebrews 5.14 Of all the many imps populating Sider's imaginary inferno, the archfiend of advertising is one of the worst, Mephistopheles Incarnate. Sider has mounted a vigorous advertising campaign against advertising. His basic message is that advertising creates all kinds of desires in a gullible public manipulating their wants. Advertisers regularly con us into believing that we genuinely need one luxury after another. We are convinced that we must keep up with or go even one better than our neighbors. The purpose of advertising no longer is primarily to inform. It is to create desire. It attempts to persuade us that material possessions will bring joy and fulfillment. One ad particularly censored by Sider is from his savings bank. The ad is characterized by him as unbiblical, heretical, demonic. Here's the jingle. Put a little love away. Everybody needs a penny for a rainy day. Put a little love away. Tacky maybe, crass, but heretical? Demonic? Cider must mean either that, one, saving money is demonic, or two, the union of saving money with the sublime concept of love is demonic. A third possibility would be that Fractionally reserved banks themselves are demonic. He may have something there, but I won't take the time to explore it right now. But thriftiness and saving are certainly biblical virtues. And many laws, for example inheritance, are meaningless apart from storing up wealth. Moreover, Jesus' parable of money investment, Luke 19 11 through 27, assumes the ethical validity of savings. And even banks are mentioned. Of course, this was written before the Federal Reserve System came along. Does advertising as such create desire? This is plainly not so. If it were true, it would mean that no business would ever suffer losses. It could just keep on creating a desire for its product. It would also mean that 
businesses would not waste their time in marketing research to find out what consumers really want. If advertising could really create those wants, research is entirely superfluous. For example, when God created the world, he didn't engage in research to find out what the creation would like to be. And how can we tell the difference between unjustly creating wants and fulfilling those desires that already exist? Cider does not tell us. He merely asserts that ads create wants. Presumably, therefore, no company really satisfies the true wants of consumers. All consumer wants are fabricated by big business advertising. And I thought the right wing had a corner on conspiracy theories. As well packaged as Cider's anti-ad ad is, he doesn't give any proof. Maybe he should be federally regulated. We consumers need to be protected against such unscrupulous tactics. Ludwig von Mises demolished this notion of the omnipotent advertiser. Quote, the consumer is, according to this legend, simply defenseless against high-pressure advertising. If this were true, success or failure in business would depend on the mode of advertising only. However, nobody believes that any kind of advertising would have succeeded in making the candle makers hold the field against the electric light bulb, the horse drivers against the motor cars, the goose quill against the steel pen, and later against the fountain pen. But whoever admits that, that this implies that the quality of the commodity advertised is instrumental in bringing about the success of an advertising campaign. Then there is no reason to maintain that advertising is a method of cheating the public. <coughs> advertising is information. The reason why it is often slick, sugary, gross, stupid, or infuriating is because that is what the public wants. The advertiser's job is to inform potential buyers of his product. He must get the information to them in such a way that they will not miss it. This can mean the commercial use of beautiful sunsets, pretty girls, handsome men, cute kids, charming grandmothers, muscle-bound athletes, adorable puppies, and whatever else will attract consumer attention. Information is useless if it is not communicated. <coughs> I know a man who wrote a gospel tract. On the cover were pictures of different shaped noses and the words, Pick the one you want. The next page began, Now that you're done picking your nose, <laughs> and the tract went on to share the gospel. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty gross. But it was read by many more people than would have read one beginning, Are You Saved? The point is that he got their attention. This is not a defense of every attention-getting device. I'm merely saying that this is a necessary function of advertising and that the public's taste determines what methods will be used. Amos used a tricky advertising gimmick to get Israel to listen to his message, 
by telling them that they want telling them what they wanted to hear, how bad everyone else was. Amos one three through two verse five. Advertising is wrong only when it breaks the law of God. Tackiness is not a sin. But what about its effect upon impressionable minds? Cider claims that advertising shapes the values of our children. The only answer to this is, that's your problem. God has given you the responsibility to shape your children's values. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 and 6 verse 5 through 7. My wife and I have our children programmed for this. They will simply get up and turn the TV off whenever a distasteful advertisement comes on the screen. Their level of discernment is pretty good. Television is not shaping their values. The Word of God is, as it permeates the fabric of our home. Principles of godliness are discussed as naturally as are methods of cooking, decorating or a screw, using a screwdriver or throwing a frisbee. It is part of life and it forms the basic perspective through which the whole world is seen. There are problems, but the problems are met and conquered. Advertising broadens the choices available to consumers and enables us to shop ahead of time. Brand names make shopping more efficient by enabling us to purchase goods of easily recognizable quality. When I buy jeans, I don't have to take the time to sort through a jumble of different types, analyzing each pair for durability. I just head for the Levi's. More than this, advertising enables us to discriminate differences we hadn't been aware of. The nationally advertised Pepsi Challenge made consumers aware that Pepsi really does taste better to some consumers than its competitor. A product that fails to live up to its claims cannot succeed very long. We are responsible for testing everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Christians aren't supposed to be gullible. What then is the problem with advertising? Cider finally stumbles onto the point. Given our inherent bent for idolatry, advertising is so demonically powerful and convincing that most people persist in their fruitless effort to quench their thirst for meaning and fulfillment with an ever-rising river of possession. He's muddled it, but he's reached the basic issue, idolatry. People who are enslaved to the present, thinking only of immediate gratification, are seduced by advertising into buying the latest doodads and baubles. Their ethic is not one of saving, investment, and generous giving, but of consumption. And the central fact here is not the advertising. It is the slave mentality of the people a condition that can be corrected only by regeneration and the deep cultural penetration of biblical values. <coughs> For example, let's consider the most blatant instance of false, unscrupulous advertising in all history, the temptation of Adam and Eve. God placed the forbidden tree right in the middle of the garden, not to tempt his creatures, but to give them strength as they daily grew in the ability to obey him. But when the serpent handed them a line, they swallowed it. Why? 
Why was the temptation too strong for them? To say that would be to change, to charge God with deceiving them. No temptation is too strong, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. <coughs> the slickest ad campaign ever devised cannot in itself lead people into sin. <coughs> the real problem lay in Adam and Eve's rebellion. They wanted to be like God, and that is why they gave in to pressure. They were judged. Of course, the serpent was judged, too, for misrepresenting the truth. <coughs> the basic problem is not advertising, but depravity. The only way to wipe out the consumption ethic is to convert the culture. We cannot legislate proper values. Legislation should only penalize biblically evil external acts. Moreover, the same good may be right or wrong for different people. Is it right to own a Mercedes? Since sin is not in things but in people's hearts, Matthew fifteen eleven and 17 through 20, the possession of a Mercedes may be perfectly all right for some and wrong for others. Questions must be asked. How does this affect your other financial obligations? Is it an idol? Did you pay for it? Not all these questions are quantifiable. Answers may vary for different individuals. It is a matter of faith and examination of one's own conscience, not legislation. <coughs> Cider does not say we should enact legislation against all the ads he dislikes, but that conclusion is likely for two reasons. First, statist legislation is the thrust of his whole book. You can always hear the hum of an axe grinding in the background. Second, he says that the result of advertising is structural injustice. And he constantly is after us to abolish structural injustice. Should advertising be regulated? No. There is no biblical warrant for a state regulatory board to oversee the advertising industry. But proven false advertising, actual fraud, should be punished since it constitutes theft. <coughs> the one who engages in fraud must make full restitution for taking other people's goods under false pretenses. The Bible does not give the state the authority to regulate anything. The state's function is to punish criminals. Biblical law is basically structured in terms of ex post facto punishments, not continual daily regulation. I may not ele elevate my prejudices to equal standing with God's law. I may intensely dislike advertisements, but I must treat them as the Bible commands me to treat my enemies with justice. Until someone breaks the law of God, I must not prosecute him. The state is given the authority to punish evildoers, not chuckleheads. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now 
to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.